welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. Hello, Hope City Church. It's wonderful to be here. I hope you all show up last night in the two services that we were there. But if you did, we're going to hear the same things over again, I think. Because I have a word in my heart that I want to talk about. I want to share some ideas with you, some things I think you'll know deeply. Way down deep inside, I know you've heard them. But they seem to be coming to the surface in my own heart, in my own life. And I'm going to talk to you about the idea, about the principle, about the truth, about honor. Honor is an expression of the love of God. Honor is an expression of wisdom. It says in Romans chapter 13, verse number 7, it says these two things that I'm sure you're all familiar with. It says, amongst other things, pay respect to whom respect is due, pay honor to whom honor is due. And those verses, those words showing up in the same verse tell us that there are subtle and distinct but different meanings in those two words or it wouldn't be duplicated. So respect is a, is a good relationship word. Respect is something that you pay when someone behaves well or when they do a good job. Respect is an important thing. You can respect someone because of their education, because of their career, because of their accomplishments. And sometimes even grudgingly you respect them because they perform real well. But honor is an entirely different subject. When you respect someone, uh, you, you pay it to them like they deserve it. When you honor someone, by and large, or when you honor a thing, and that's where I really want to go with this. When you honor a thing, you value it for what it is because the word honor actually is the word, it's translated all through the New Testament and the Septuagint, the Old Testament, the Greek Old Testament, as the word price or value or something that's paid. When you honor something, you are putting a price on it. You are saying, this is worth this much to me, but not this much. Sometimes we get caught in the valuation process. And I wanted to say that almost every mistake I've ever made in life Almost everything I've done wrong, particularly as a believer, was an honor issue. I didn't know what I had. If you don't know what you have, if you don't know what something is, if you don't know what a relationship's supposed to be, like with your, with your spouse or in your church with your pastor, if you don't know what God's intention for that relationship is, you cannot use it properly. I've had possessions. I've had things that came to me easily, and this is an important truth, that came to me easily so I put no value on them. I can remember in years gone by as a kid, I've thrown away expensive wristwatches because they weren't keeping time properly, simply because I didn't know the value of that wristwatch. I've misused things. I've abused things. I've wasted, I've destroyed things, and then regretfully when you get over, you look back and you say, huh, that was, I remember doing that. That was a valuable thing. I threw it away because I did not know what it was. I did not have enough good sense to respect it and to treat it for what it was worth. And truthfully, I've done that with relationships. I've done that. I've not always honored my marriage. I've not always, nobody told me what a marriage was supposed to be. Nobody told me what a marriage was supposed to be, and nobody told me how I was supposed to 
view my wife and what a wife actually was. And as a consequence, I did not always value the person that was my wife. I did not always value the fact that I was married or that God was involved in that relationship. So as a consequence, I misused the marriage, I abused the marriage, and I hurt the marriage, and it's pain for everybody, but thanks be to God, you can buy it all back. I've misused the people of God. I've made mistakes. I've made wrong choices because sometimes when you're starting a church, when you're doing the work of the ministry, uh, you do your best. You do everything you understand to the knowledge you have. But at the same token, you don't necessarily look at the differences and the disparity in people out there and think they're the treasury that you really wanted. Sometimes you look at those people and you think that they're just not good enough or you think that if they just changed... So as a young pastor, I spent years trying to get people to change. I don't think I knew it at the time, but I tried to get people to change. I tried to get people to hear, tried to get people to understand. I thought if they could just get this down right, if they could just understand this, then everything would be okay. But the truth was, I can't change anybody. All I can do is create an environment to where God can work in their heart and enlarge them. But as a pastor in particular, or as a husband, as a friend, Anything that has a Bible definition to it as, as a relationship has, a, has an estimated price that God puts on it that you have to discover so that you can get the well-being and the good out of it. If you overvalue things, you'll try to hang on to relationships that you should have let go. If you devalue those relationships, you'll misuse them and you'll abuse them just like you would a physical possession. So in church... Sometimes I've thought, I didn't think I did at the time, and I'm confessing my faults, I suppose, that someone who had more of a practical function in their ministry might not carry the same relationship with the Lord that I wanted them to have so that they might be missing out on something. I've not always valued every person's voice, for instance, equally. Sometimes I've thought more people, I've thought some people were more equipped, more graced, more enabled, and so I did not esteem them right. But yet, to do that, I had to completely overlook the scripture in 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 12 that says, Those that are prominent already receive their honor. Sometimes we have to find those people who seem to be less, who seem to be insignificant. Those people have been beaten down by life. Those people have been overhauled by life. And they walk through life grasping at some sort of a sense of identity and self-respect and self-worth that they won't just get when they come to church and listen to somebody preach. They won't necessarily get just because they sit and read the Bible. Somebody has to come along and demonstrate the love of Christ to them and show them that there is an intrinsic, though it might be hidden, it might be banged up, it might be damaged value. There's a grace, there's a gifting, there's an ability, there's an anointing, there's a call on the inside of them that both makes them unique and causes them to fit in the entire harmony of the whole program. They might not be like me. They might not be like you. You don't have a right to expect someone to be like you without destroying the integrity of the diversity of God. I don't have a right to expect everyone to see what I see in the scriptures the same way I see it. I don't have a right to expect everyone to 
walk through life like I walk through life with the same convictions, with the same understanding, because the understanding I get from God, from His Word, by His Spirit, is going to have to do with my unique call. If you all were just like me, we would do all the same thing. And like the Apostle Paul said, well, where's the body in that? There is no body. It's just one big part. So everyone's different. Everyone has a part to play. And everybody ought to be able to come into the house of God without feeling like they're being judged from the past or by somebody else's standards other than the standards of the Scripture, by somebody else's estimation. They, this ought to be a place where you can come, where you can connect and have somebody speak into the eternity of your heart. I'm going to park on this thought for just a second. I'm watching the clock. One of the best things a pastor can ever do for anybody is pray for them enough that they see them like God sees them, that they actually care for their souls, they actually carry them, and believe in them when they don't believe in themselves. There have been several junctures in my life, more than I think of easily, in the very beginning of my ministry. Looking back on it now, I realized that someone believing in me and refusing to judge me for what they saw was just enough impetus to get me over a bump so I could take off and move again. Someone believing I could be more than what they saw was the key, and I think it's the key to faith, and this is where we're going, that enabled me to believe both in myself and the Word of God, the Lord Jesus, and move into the arenas that God called me to. So, Rejoice, you're not all everything you're supposed to be. But rejoice because you're not all supposed to be the same thing. And really rejoice because nobody but you gets to peer into that place in your heart and life that's private, that's joint. This is the hard part about church, actually. It says, he who that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. But yet it says a pastor, for instance, is supposed to care for the souls and watch over the souls of the people he leads. Watching over somebody's soul doesn't give anybody the right to intervene in their place of their heart where they're connected with the Lord. You have to live that out. That's your own convictions. That's why as a pastor so many times people have come to me and said, well, God said. Once they say God said, the conversation's over. Once they say this is what I'm supposed to do and God's shown me this in some fashion, you're kind of reduced to helping them figure out how to do it. You can't change anything at that point because that's a sacred place like in a marriage. That's an intimate place. It's supposed to be inviolate between them and the Lord that nobody else is allowed to reach into and change somebody's heart. Changing their mind? Yeah. Changing their heart is an entirely separate conversation and that's best left to the Lord Jesus. So, honor's about value. Honor, honor is about learning how to esteem and estimate from the eyes of the Lord, from the mind of Christ, what somebody is, who they are, without putting your own judgments upon them, allowing them to be them, praying for them to be the best them that they can be. But just to show you the depth of it, uh, and that's just a bit of an exhortation, I suppose, but just to show you the depth of it, is absolutely linked to faith and to obedience. You don't, you don't really respect what you don't pay for. You don't really respect what you don't have some kind of an investment in. 
So Jesus, knowing this truth, there's a great story we're going to read. There's a great scenario in Mark chapter 6. I want you to look in your Bible with me, if you would, so you see I didn't make this stuff up. And Lord Jesus, help me say what you want said in the way that you want it said. Prick truth, cause it to come alive, bring revelation, lead us and guide us into the perfect walk that you have for each of our individual lives so we can walk collectively into the fullness and the plan that you have for us. Mark chapter 6, verse 1, He went away from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. You know this really well. And on the Sabbath he began to teach on, in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. So, so far, so good. They're hearing him say things, probably like, Thus is the Scripture fulfilled in your ears. And look what they said. Where did this man get these things? Because we know he didn't go to Bible school. What is the wisdom given to him? We certainly know he didn't have a PhD. And how are such mighty works done by his hands? Anytime you start to look at something or someone that's impressing you spiritually, that you see some depth to, and you begin to ask these, these <laughs> adverbial questions, these, these uh, newspaper article questions, where, when, and how? How did this happen? And you begin to try and discourage, you begin to try and, and undermine, you begin to try and justify why this person doesn't have to be listened to. That's exactly what's going on here. They're astonished. They're making a choice that could have been a choice of faith that led them to healing and deliverance. It also could be a choice of unbelief. How many of you know there's a difference between unbelief, at least in principle, unbelief and disbelief? Unbelief can be ignorance. Disbelief almost always requires an act of the will. My ignorance has never really caused God much of a problem. My disbelief has caused me and everyone around me and God Himself a problem, as you know from the rest of this paragraph here, and caused caused no untold amount of pain and disappointment and wasted time while I had to wait and get my head turned around right so that I could do what to believe and how to believe it and what to do. So when the Lord begins to reveal something to you, when you begin to look at someone and see the value in them, when you begin to see the spiritual gifts and graces operating in someone, don't talk yourself out of it. Maybe bite your lip if you have to, but watch and let God work because He uses all of us to the best of His capacity according to who we are. And none of us, none of us are perfect. So He goes on, He says, they say all these things and then they get personal. Is not this the carpenter? Isn't it the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here with us? And then they took offense at him. They made themselves a well enough case that they didn't have to believe. And it said, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Now just kind of as a curious aside, 
It says, it says he went on here and he went about the villages teaching because that's all he could do. But in the next verse, verse 7, <coughs> excuse me, it says he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey. This is an interesting point here. Except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money, their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you go, stay in the house and let them take care of you. The beautiful point here is what he's saying is, they don't value me. And I know they're not going to believe if they don't value you. So when you go out and go preach, when you minister to someone, there does come a point where it's not supposed to be free all the time, but there's a place where they have to pay because if they don't pay, then they're just not ever really going to fully truly believe because that's what happened earlier in that first paragraph. They said they were astonished and they took offense. He didn't stop them. He didn't say, boys, listen to me. You're, you're stumbling over unbelief here and we need to deal with the unbelief. He didn't say that. Unbelief, we preached it like this. I preached it like this at least. That the unbelief that you look at there was the result but not the cause of the problem. The cause of the problem was that they did not honor him. So when he began to say, when he began to say a prophet is not without honor, he's saying to them, you're not putting any price on me. You're not putting any value in me. And of course you don't believe because I'm nothing to you. Most of us go to church and think the same thing. We go to church and we see everyday people. We see everyday ordinary things. We see everyday plain issues. We see stuff that's kind of broke. We see stuff that's not finished off painting. We see all sorts of stuff. And it's real easy to let ourselves slide to a place to where we judge after what our eye tells us and we lose the spiritual wisdom and grace and gifting to move beyond to a place of faith and say, in God, I'm looking at this for what it could be, not necessarily for how it's appeared in my past or its plain, everyday, ordinary looks. There is a reason that it says, Children, honor your mother and father in the Lord, for it's the first commandment with a promise. It's not just a nice idea. It's because honor absolutely opens up the door for your faith to work. When we look at the church today, when the people on the outside look at the church today, like Gandhi said, they don't really have any trouble with Jesus. Jesus is not their issue. They look at us, and when they see us, they don't think they should honor us for our beliefs because it does not appear that we honor him with our beliefs. Unbelief is probably rooted in dishonor. So when you can come along and say, this is what the Lord said, this is who he is, it doesn't matter what somebody's credentials are. It doesn't matter if they're perfect. It doesn't matter if I have a past with them. I'm just judging from this moment right there I see from that action the grace of God is working in their life and I'm not going to let the past hang over them. I'm not going to let my, my everyday life and experience hinder who they might be and what God might want to do in them because evidently while unbelief, while unbelief can stop God from working, it's the dishonor that generates the unbelief. 
So in that dishonor, we go to church. We go to church and we all honor the Lord. We love the Lord. We believe in the Lord. But sometimes I'm not sure we honor each other like we're supposed to. And the Apostle John said over in 1 John, how can you say you love God if you don't love your brother? You love God whom you haven't seen if you don't love your brother whom you have seen. You can put just about any substantive word in there, any verb in there that you want to, honoring, loving. You can't really honor God if you don't honor me. And I'm not always that easy to honor. But ultimately, one day, I'm going to come, I'm going to have something to say that's got to come from God. And if you're not, if you're insisting on looking at David like he's just plain David, you're not going to get it. You're going to say, yeah, I, I know, but I've heard you make jokes. I've heard you say stupid things. You don't always preach good. I, I know you're not perfect, so why should I believe this is God speaking to me now? I don't know. I don't even know why God wants to talk to any of us. So all you have to do is say, here I am. Here's my heart open. So speak to me from your truth. Speak to me from your word and use any unlikely vessel that you want to. Use everyday, ordinary plain people in an everyday predictable environment and show your reality because I honor you Lord Jesus and I'm going to prove it to you because I'm going to come to church and all those people that I don't always like and all those people I don't always respect and all those things I don't always agree with. It's true like this in every family. It's true like this in every church. I'm going to be bigger than what my environment looks like and I am going to give this honor out of my heart because I'm the recipient of the benefit. When I honor what God honors, I put the price on it that God puts on it. I value it and esteem it like He wants me to, not too much, not too little, just in a real, healthy, honest way, paying for it from my heart exactly what it's worth. When I do that, I get God results back. I get back what He intended for that marriage to be into my life, but not without honoring. It does say in 1 Peter, husbands, honor your wives. That means like spend money on them. That means like treat them for what they are, recognizing what a wife is supposed to be, both the individual woman that's your wife and the institution, the relationship of being a wife. Treat it right, you get God fruit from it. Treat it badly, abuse it, misuse it. You got nothing but trouble, and it's nobody's fault but mine and yours. You want church to be right? You be the only guy that goes to church Sunday and acts like a Christian. What the rest of them do or what the rest of them don't do is absolutely irrelevant. Whether they deserve it, whether they don't deserve it is irrelevant. You act like a Christian. Don't act like a Bible student who knows all the reasons why you don't have to do this and what they did was wrong. Act like a Christian and let the love of God empowered by the honor of God reach out and value people in the way that the Lord sees them. If you do that, the most wonderful thing happens. You're the only guy in the room maybe, but you get healed. Perhaps you're the only lady in the room that gets delivered. Perhaps it's a bad praise and worship set right from the 1970s. Sometimes it is. Perhaps it's a bad praise and worship set, but somehow 
Jesus comes walking right down the aisle and speaks to you. And your heart is forever changed. Not because the music was good, not because the facilities were good, not because the sermon was good, but because you had postured yourself in a healthy spiritual way to receive because of the honor, because of the evaluation, because of the price that you recognized the Lord Jesus had paid and other people had paid to create this safe space for you to come and learn and be developed as a man or as a woman of God. Nobody else perhaps doesn't get anything, but that's not got anything to do with the church service or the people in it. That's got to do with your own personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, especially your personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ as it's filtered through all of those strange characters sitting in front, behind, and around you who are not like you at all, who are under no obligation to be like you at all, who are put there so you could make choices to learn and grow and go beyond it all. Honor absolutely sets you free. Honor moves you to an arena where you're loved and where you're filled with faith. Be ready to pay for something for it. Be ready to take out your wallet. Be ready to give your money. Be ready to give your words. Be ready to give your submission and your obedience. It's going to cost you something. But to honor what God's brought into your life as a gift from God Himself to you absolutely elevates you to a place where what anyone else says, does, thinks, or interacts with cannot swerve you from your position in Christ. It cannot hurt your faith, and it won't hinder or stop you. Father, I thank you for the chance that you give us all to grow up in you, in Christ, to be men and women of integrity, of spiritual integrity, of love, and of honor, and of strength. I pray for these today, whoever who watch, who listen, strengthen their hearts, show them how to love, Set them free and let them move beyond fairness and what someone else's duty to them may or may not have been fulfilled, but move them into an arena of being a giver and to being a blesser and yielding in faith to you so that your kingdom can come, your will can be done in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that His Spirit, His love, and His life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.